Tank. Yes. How important is Cash, not only to me personally, but to our podcast? Oh, he's integral. Integral. He's the CEO of Psychopedia. I love him and I would do anything for him, but vet bills get very expensive. So fast. Especially when it's an emergency vet bill. So here's the good news. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Oh, I've heard about insurance before. I've never had it. With Spot Plans, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. That could be a whole lot of cash back for unexpected vet bills, which can pile up fast. Question, is that cash with a K or? (laughs) Funny. Spot Pet Insurance plans don't just offer coverage for unexpected accidents and illnesses. You can add their preventative care benefit to your plan, helping to ensure that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit www.spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample dash policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Welcome back to another episode of the Psychopedia Podcast. I am your co-host, Tank Sinatra, with my co-host... Investigator Slater. Nailed it. So if you've listened to any of the episodes, you know the deal. You know that I'm kind of like the comic relief to it. I'm not a full-blown true crime fanatic yet. I'm so close. Investigator Slater is a well-researched, absolute... What would you call yourself? Not an expert. Probably whatever is above expert. Guru? Guru. (laughs) I I didn't want to wow too loud because I think it might come off as annoying, but big wow. I would call you an encyclopedia of a psychopedia of true crime. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. Well, if you didn't know, that's why the podcast is the name of the podcast. I think I called you an encyclopedia of true crime at your house. This is how we came up with the name. Psychopedia. Yeah. And then we just stuck with it and it feels great. And it does. we're having a lot of fun. And we have a sick logo. It's a skull. Yeah. I got it tattooed on me. <gasps> Where? On my shoulder. Amazing. I know. Yeah. Should I get a matching one? Sure. I wouldn't get one on your shoulder. You don't want to look like a hooligan. You got one on your shoulder. I'm a man. I'm 250 pounds. So where should I get it? I'm not going to say. All right. I don't know. Somewhere feminine, cool, like small on your foot, maybe. I don't know. Why don't our listeners (laughs) tell me where I should get it? (laughs) Chime in, everyone. Lower back, skull (laughs) tattoo. I have no clue. That's up to you. I, I'm also lying. Just I know. To be clear. I'm aware. Okay, good. I don't want you to like go get a tattoo and then you're like, let's get take a picture of our matching <laughs> tattoos. So listen, big news today for us and for them. Mm-hmm. This is the second half of our first two-part case, the Toy Box Killer and all the people with three names in middle, wherever the, you know, wherever the fuck it was. Right. Arizona. Do you need a little refresher? I can give a little refresher before we dive into part two. I don't, but maybe for the people listening, uh-huh. a little okay. refresher would be okay. great since I just remember three names and a real bad guy with like an RV set up. Right. Like breaking Bad, making meth, raping people, yeah. kidnapping his daughter's friends. Right. It's all coming back to me now, but let's do it anyway. Okay, let's go. Quick recap. So I just want to also say, I'm going to give this quick recap very gladly, but I really recommend that if you haven't listened to part one, you go back and listen to part one. Oh, this is not a substitute. Right. I just want to make that clear because part one really, really thoroughly lays the groundwork for the rest of this case. It's fascinating. It's horrible, but it's worth listening to if you want to listen to this second part now. I do remember feeling like the depravity was staggering. Like this guy was just, what went wrong? Staggering. Really perverse, odd behavior, but violent and whatever. Mm -hmm. So you do the recap, but like you said, great call. If you haven't listened to part one yet, just go do it. All right. So here's the Cliff Notes version of part one. So the backdrop of this case is a place called Elephant Butte, which is located in New Mexico, just a handful of miles away from the more well-known area in New Mexico called Truth or Consequences. <laughs> That's right. Right. We learned a little bit about David Parker Ray's turbulent childhood and the years leading up to his sick reign as the toy box killer. We discussed all of the homemade implements of torture that David Parker Ray made and utilized in a soundproof, 
escape-proof cargo trailer on his property, which he referred to as his toy box, and where he confined, forcibly drugged, tortured, sexually abused, and experimented on his female victims. There were a couple of other bad apples we introduced last week as well, including David's daughter and at times accomplice, Jesse Ray, as well as a man named Dennis Roy Yancey, known as Roy, a.k.a. Toy Boy Roy, who was forced... That's new. I yeah. That from I was going to see if you like caught on to that. Toy Boy... Toy Box Roy? Toy Boy Roy. Toy Boy Roy. Right. Jeez. And toy if boat. you recall, he was forced by David to abduct and strangle to death his girlfriend, Marie B. Parker, before dumping her body into a nearby ravine. Lastly, we discussed the assault, torture, and survival of an incredibly brave young woman named Kelly Van Cleave, who we nicknamed KVC as well as the escape of another incredibly brave individual named Cynthia Vigil, who we will discuss in much greater detail tonight. Okay. And I don't know if you're going to get into it. Great job on the recap. Thank you, sir. Completely caught up. But you reminded me of the fact that he's a mechanic. Correct. He used all of his skill and craftsmanship to make torture devices, which I remember feeling was really a bad use of his genius. Right. That's accurate. He was a mechanic by trade and a skillful one at that. He used scrap metal and whatever else he was able to get his hands on to utilize and devise these like implements of torture. He spent a lot of time thinking about torture. He thought about it. He made plans for how he was going to torture. He executed on his plans. He photographed the execution of his plans, brought it full circle and really thought of himself as like a, we talked about this last week, as a sexual scientist, right? And we kind of, we compared him to sort of like the Nazis back in the day documenting everything, taking what they thought to be was a scientific approach. But at the end of the day, you're just fucking up people. You know what other scientist has three names that I find annoying? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Why do you find him annoying? He's just very, everything he says is, didn't you realize that? He's brilliant. This universe has, needs no reason to explain it. So don't listen to a podcast by him. Christmas time, every year, he talks about how it would be impossible for Santa to deliver the gifts. It's like, dude, shut up. Oh, well, that's throwing cold water on the situation, isn't it? He's a big cold water chucker. (laughs) Huge. The guy is a cold bath fanatic. I find him smug and annoying, and maybe we've all possibly, especially me, been exposed to a little bit too much of him because Bill Nye came out, made a splash, got people to fall in love with him, and then kind of went away strategically. Maybe, maybe it was just his show got canceled. I don't know. Neil deGrasse Tyson is just like, did you know that if the earth was the size of a pool ball and you rubbed your fingers over the Everest mountain, you wouldn't even feel it. That's how smooth it's shot. <laughs> You're up. creeping me out. Yeah. This welcome. creeps me out more than you narrating David Ray Parker's advisory cassette tape. Oh, I forgot week. about that. The guy <laughs> what that, you just did was way creepier. That's Neil deGrasse Tyson for me. All right. But he's got three names. So anyway, let's find out. We're going to get into part two. We're pretty much up to speed from that little summary I just provided. And we're in the year 1997 at this point in the case, which is when David Ray Parker met his twisted match and literal partner in crime, Cindy Hendy. Cindy appeared in Elephant Butte just a few days before Marie Parker was murdered. She was a petite, blue-eyed, drug-addicted, lawless, 37-year-old disaster of human. (laughs) (laughs) How's that for a resume? Sounds like a real catch. Cindy Hendy was running from the law in Washington state after she disobeyed a court order to enter drug rehab. If the law caught up with Cindy, who was a mother of three, she'd be looking at jail time, so she ditched her children and flew the coop. As a child, perhaps unsurprisingly, Cindy endured physical, mental, and sexual abuse. She dropped out of school in the eighth grade, became pregnant at 16, and started to heavily abuse drugs and alcohol at a super young age. Her father was in the Navy and rarely around, spending most of his time at sea, and Cindy's mother was an alcoholic, aspiring model, and local Seattle beauty queen who spent most of her time entering pageants. Do we know what age she started drinking and, and using Twelve. Drugs? Yeah, that's that's like right at the cusp of, right. wow. Right. Cindy's mother had a history of abusive partners leading young Cindy to witness physical violence regularly. One of Cindy's stepfathers even tried to rape Cindy when she was just 12. And rather than Cindy's mother throwing her piece of shit pervert partner out on his pathetic ass, she instead... Wait, say that, say that one more time. The, the piece of shit pervert pervert pervert. Okay. So I was saying... 
that rather than Cindy's mother throwing her piece of shit pervert partner out on his pathetic ass. Fucking great sentence. That's why I wanted to hear it again. (laughs) She instead kicked Cindy out of the house at just 12. Drugs. Leaving her to fend for herself. Cindy ended up living with drug dealers and had to take on work as a sex worker to make ends meet. So we, again, we see that the catastrophic effects of inadequate or absent parenting combined with childhood trauma in the form of abuse and violence. And this toxic combination almost certainly results in devastating long-term consequences. And Cindy Hendy was certainly no exception. Yeah, no, she's, I mean, it's so much less common for someone to escape that unscathed. Absolutely. Than for them to just repeat the cycle. Absolutely. Like her mother, Cindy went on to experience a series of tumultuous and abusive relationships herself. Her lifestyle was wholly dysfunctional and her behavior was erratic, unpredictable, and highly aggressive at the slightest provocation. Rather than attempting to control her explosive temper and drug habit, Cindy went drastically in the opposite direction. After fleeing Washington State and arriving in New Mexico, Cindy Hendy met and joined forces with Jesse Ray and Dennis Royancy, who were equally messed up. As we know, we always talk about this, we always find it amazing when these people find each other. Yeah. The three of them actually entered into a polyamorous relationship in which they allegedly handcuffed and beat the shit out of each other for sexual pleasure. Well, I was going to say good for her for landing, snagging two guys, two real winners, but the beating up part made Well, me- Jesse Ray is the woman. Remember, that's David's daughter. Oh, geez. Right? And Roy, or Dennis Roy Yancey, Toy Boy Roy, is a man. Although it's funny to have this conversation... Jesse Ray was a female, but she defined herself. She identified primarily with being a lesbian, but she had sexual relationships with men as well. Throwing that in there because I came across it in my research. Amazing research. Eventually, even though Cindy, Jesse, and Roy were in this polyamorous relationship, Cindy set her sights on Jesse's dad, David Parker Ray, and saw him as quite the good catch. He was a park ranger, successful mechanic, had his own place. Good with metal. Great with scrap metal and doing funny things with it. Yeah. She moved in with him and they became an item. Now, after becoming boyfriend and girlfriend and roommates, David and Cindy's sexual relationship evolved into a teacher-apprentice dynamic. Oh, And not the sexy Fifty Shades of Grey kind. David carefully trained Cindy on how to kidnap, abuse, and torture women. Wait, so she's been there for how long now in New Mexico? Not long, because she met Jesse and Roy almost immediately. And she ditches them for the girl's dad that she was in the polyamorous relationship with. Right. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. But (laughs) then he goes, hey, I know that you were dating my daughter and my friend. You're mine now. By the way, are you into murder? and kidnapping and all that kind of stuff. To which she replied, very much so. That is fucking crazy. I have a hard time asking people if I can have a French fry. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like I'm stepping on toes and crossing boundaries if I do that. Like, I can't imagine being like, so if you ever- uh, When I have to like ask somebody at Starbucks if I could use the empty seat at their table, I have to like psych myself up for it sometimes. Or if they don't give me enough milk in my coffee, I'm like, excuse me, I know I'm a piece of shit, but could you just put a little bit more milk in here so I can enjoy this coffee? Because otherwise it's going to hurt. It's so, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just have it black. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guess what? What? I found a solution to a problem that I don't even think people realize is a problem. And you actually know what it is because we got them. What? The aura frames. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That thing has changed the vibe in my house. I have put almost every picture that I own on there because in my phone, I never look at them. There's too many to look at. So I put it on there. It was so easy to use, to set up. It was like comically simple. And a lot of people are concerned with privacy as they should be. But with this, you get complete control over who has access to your photos. And it's more secure to let these things run on the frame than it is to send them via email. My favorite thing about this frame is that I get to update the pictures that go into it. So when I print pictures and hang them up in my house, It drives me crazy that the next few months, my kids look entirely different. So with this frame, I get to see my kids as they change in front of my very eyes. Yeah, it's a great thing to have in the house. It displays the photos beautifully and it makes a great gift. As a matter of fact, right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. 
Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Psychopedia at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. It's Sophia Franklin, and I have a little secret to let you in on. I know you've all wanted more of me, so I'm introducing you to my brand new mini-series that's out now. More of me, more of you, more of us every Monday. Bringing back all the OG feels that initially brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So David introduced Cindy to the toy box and together the two wreaked havoc on many unfortunate souls. Oh God, two is so much worse than one in this situation. In order to better instruct Cindy and convey to her the precise method of his madness, David did which of the following things? Pop Pop quiz. quiz. Did he, A, test out various sex apparatuses, including the spiked dildo from part one, on Cindy? Mm, God, I hope that's not it, but I also hope you didn't come up with it. Now, what's the second choice? B, used tiny figures in a diorama to demonstrate his approach to torture. Uh Uh-huh. Or C, wheeled in a real-life victim being held hostage in the seven-foot coffin that he kept in the toy box. So it's one of these three things. Tested out the sex apparatuses, including the spiked dildo. The diorama or the coffin? Uh, The coffin. No. No, don't say it. What is it? You want me just, you're not going to try and take a second shot at this? I don't even want to play. He used tiny figures in a diorama to demonstrate his approach to torture. He made tiny figures. (laughs) Just stop and think about that for a minute. This guy could have cured all forms of cancer. (laughs) Possibly. If he put any of that energy into something positive. Did you ever make a diorama? Yeah. It's painstaking. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I definitely flopped. I mean, it was not good. I mean, my mother went in on it with me. There was no choice. It's so, they're hard. No, you can't do a diorama in second grade. That's worth anything. He, so he made it, okay, good. So he didn't use the spike dildo on her, but you came up with that, which is somehow yes, worse. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> he made a diorama with little tiny figures to- Demonstrate his approach to torture. So what is he like? Oh, so here I walk in the door and they're over there. They've already listened to the, the tape that I play for them and they're scared. So I go over here and then I grab this machine and I- Well, I'm going to one-up the diorama. He also provided Cindy with an 18-point instructional guide in which he described the various steps of torturing and sexually abusing his victims. He taped it to the wall for ease of reference. And he titled <laughs> this instructional guide... Like it was a CPR... Uh, <laughs> it was a Heimlich CPR maneuver. CPR guide. Yeah. Jeez. He called it psychological and physical procedures, initial handling of the captive, personal fetish. No punctuation. So I'm thinking grammar was in his bag. I mean, you can't be that good at torture and then also be good at grammar. So I'm going to read a few bullet points he wrote in his 10-point list. You can read the full list in a really, really great book that I read while researching this case. It's called Cries in the Desert by John Glatt. I'm going to cherry pick which ones to read. Most of them are brutal. I'm sorry in advance, but I do think that this really helps to further illuminate who we're dealing with here. Number one. The new female captive should be gagged and blindfolded with wrists and ankle chains. Always female. Always female. Okay. Number two, move her into the recreation room, place her body under the suspension chains. Number four, because I'm skipping around, place the neck chain around her neck and lock it into place. It is permanent. Oh, that's fucking creepy. Number seven, fondle and abuse her breasts, nipples, and other parts of her body. Number eight, keep her blindfolded to increase disorientation, use verbal abuse, i.e. dumb bitch, slut, etc. He gave examples and then etc. Etc. Whatever you're feeling, whatever comes up. Number 14, at this point, the captive is suspended at a convenient height, immobilized and fully exposed. She's uncomfortable, disoriented, and probably terrified. Don't cut her any slack. Continue the verbal and physical abuse keep her mentally off balance. This guy is the worst. Beyond. Number 15, play with her sex organs. I can't read the rest of that sentence. It's really upsetting. Well, hold on. 
Because now you got my interest beat. He basically talks about... Not that I'm interested in no, torture. No, 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 I understand. For the people listening. I understand. I'm not the toy box killer. I just... You can't read half a sentence and then go, the rest of it's too crazy. I can't read it. It has to do with him instructing, let's say Cindy in this case, right? Where to penetrate the uh, victim. For like the worst outcome for the victim? Like to Correct. Cause, cause Correct. the most pain? Exactly. Ugh. Force large dildos into both holes, use clamps, needles, and other devices, whip her, and use electroshock. Is that the sentence you didn't want to read? No. Oh, my God. How bad was the sentence you didn't want to read? Really bad. Oh, man. Gee, God, this guy. I don't ever, I have such empathy and and compassion for sick people, bad childhoods, trauma, chemistry, brains, whatever. This guy is fucking evil. I have no time for David Ray Parker. I don't have an ounce, an iota of energy for this man. Nor I. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, Tank. But this kind of gives you the picture, obviously. And there were 18 points and I didn't even get into the worst ones. You you didn't get into the worst ones or those were the worst ones? No, no, no. I did not get into the worst ones or the ones that I feel are, I I can't even let the words escape my mouth. Okay. In 1999, Cindy Hendy asked a friend named Angelica Montano to join her for an evening of baking a cake. I mean, who would say no to that? Angelica accepted the invitation, but when she arrived at Cindy and David's house, Angelica was immediately overpowered by David, who punched her in the mouth and held a knife to her throat while Cindy pointed a gun at her head and demanded that she remove all of her clothing. Then, Angelica was forced to swallow a combination of phenobarbital and sodium pentothal, which is like a rapid-onset barbiturate general anesthetic. Yeah. Isn't that like what they killed uh, Michael Jackson with? Uh, That actually, I think you're right. Sodium pentothal? And what do you mean they killed Michael Jackson? Well, the guy who... Oh, the the prescribing physician? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Investigator Slater, excuse me, hold on one second. I just want to emphasize the terror that Angelica must have felt. And I'm curious. So like, I have a theory of what I would do if ever in that situation. Mm -hmm. What is that theory? I would force them to kill me or let me go. Like I can't do the whole waiting and maybe you're going to kill me. Maybe you're not like fucking do it now. I am quite certain that they were begging for this to end, but that's what he got off on. No, that's what I'm saying. So like, I'm not going to let you get me in some dungeon or in a car somewhere so you can take me somewhere Shoot you will me. if you're drugged and you wake up chained. No, but I'm saying when she walked in, he punched her in the mouth. They stripped all her clothes. Like, I want to believe that I would fight for my life. But also when you're in that situation, it's totally, totally. different. Totally. Have you ever felt sheer terror? And obviously never on this level, but- Only in a dream once. Which oh, we, we, talked we talked about, about that. Yeah. Right. But no, I mean, fights, pre-fight jitters, like they're, they're not jitters. It's your blood is cold. But no, never like a pending sense of absolute imminent doom. doom. Right. So she's drugged. She's placed in handcuffs. She's fitted with a silver padlocked metal collar. She's chained, spread eagle to a bed in the living room and forced to listen to the advisory cassette tape. And you really had to have listened to part one to know the extent of how horrendous that cassette tape was. Yeah, this guy's a psychopath. David and Cindy fit a leather mask tightly around Angelica's head and face, making it difficult for her to breathe. And it was at that point when Angelica lost consciousness. She was held for four long days without any food or water, with Cindy keeping watch of her by day and David by night. Finally, David moved Angelica into the bathroom where he proceeded to bathe her, indicating that he liked his victims clean. After that, he moved Angelica into the god-awful toy box where she was anally assaulted by wooden devices. He proceeded to vaginally penetrate Angelica with a white stun gun until her thighs burned. A white stun gun? And tortured her. Penetrated with a stun gun? Yeah. Yeah, it's heavy. How could anybody... Listen, I'm a freak, okay? I don't kink shame, nothing. But in what sense of the word pleasure. He's a sexual sadist. Which you said there are very few of. The most rare breed. Okay. All right. That makes me feel a little bit better. Exactly. He can only derive pleasure from what he's doing. 
maybe you don't get to feel pleasure then, bro. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. Maybe your pleasure uh, factory has been shut down. Ah, man. I mean, uh, wooden, you said anally assaulted. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a doozy of a- uh, It's it's rough. Of a word coupling. Yeah. Oh, my God. This went on for an entire hour until David and Cindy decided to break to watch a television show that aired at 9 p.m. (laughs) Pop quiz. What TV show (laughs) did they pause to watch? Truth or consequences? No, that was a radio show. A, Home Improvement. Uh, I can't even do it anymore. All right. So uh, Tim, the tool man. One hit wonder. Yeah. B, The Simpsons. Okay. C, X-Files. D, Stephen King's Storm of the Century. Oh, I like that there's four choices. Uh, Home Improvement. No. Oh, man. That would have been not not funny, but like very strange. I thought because he was a mechanic, if I knew that would... That would trip you up. Oh, no, I just think of it as like a dumb, silly show. So to, to take a break from torture to go watch something so lighthearted would have been interesting. Simpsons, X-Files, or Stephen King? X-Files. No. Stephen King. Yes. All oh, right. Storm of the Century. Yep. It was a highly anticipated miniseries and they couldn't miss it. Yeah, I can't miss it. Now, somehow, through the unbelievable terror and pain and fear... Angelica had the astounding wherewithal to act like she was enjoying the assaults and like they were all friends having this crazy time together. And this did the trick because the next morning, David drove Angelica to I-25 where he dropped her off before driving away. I think Angelica's release likely had less to do with David and Cindy feeling badly about hurting this woman who's acting like a friend. Yeah. And more to do with the fact that Angelica was containing her misery to the extent that she could, and she was acting like she was enjoying it. Yeah. Which took the wind out of their sails because they wanted her to not enjoy it. That's where their satisfaction comes from. Yeah. So I think when she was like pretending to be into it, which was a brilliant strategy, Angelica. Yeah. They let her go. But a very difficult strategy very to implement. Diff- I'm I sure. mean, when your survival instincts kick in, man, that was a brilliant strategy. How do you pretend to enjoy a stun gun to the beep? She did. That's, I mean, is she around? Unfortunately, she's not around, but we'll hear why. So at this point, she's released and she hitchhikes to Albuquerque. Incredibly, the person who picked her up on the side of the road was an off-duty cop named Gary Leba. Love him. Angelica recounted everything that happened to her in the toy box as she chain-smoked in the front seat of his car. Officer Lebia told Angelica that she'd need to make an official police report, but she indicated that she was way too afraid to do that. So, pop quiz, I know we just had one. I love love pop quizzes. What did off-duty Officer Lebia do? A, bravely turn his car around to independently pursue David and Cindy. B, take Angelica's full testimony so he could obtain a search warrant for David's property. (sighs) Or C, force Angelica to exit his vehicle so he could continue on to wherever he was going prior to picking her up. No, you can't. Uh, If it's that, I want to stop talking about this story. But I think B. Afraid not. What is it? He forced her. What the To exit his vehicle so he could keep going. He astonishingly, disgustingly. I told felt, Angelica that he was pressed for time and he dropped her off at a bus stop on I-25. I just I-25. felt so much hope when she got picked up. I know. Well, other side, is it possible that he thought she was making it up? It is possible. I would imagine though you see the markings all over her. Drugs. It, exactly. You, you have no idea. And there are people, and we talked about this last week, right? The cars that drove by yeah, yeah. Cynthia Vigil, who was on the side of the road trying to wave down cars and they just drove past her because they had no idea what the fuck was going on. So Angelica's plan in terms of next steps was just to quote, leave it up to God. It's pretty amazing that she still believes in God. Maybe you should do a little more than that. I mean, I don't even think I could do that. Maybe you should call the cops. But she was too afraid. She was afraid of retaliation. She was afraid of her. She acted like she was friends with them. And that's why they let her go in her mind. I feel like if you send a cop to the home and they look at it. They'll know what's up. Well, they're going to see the fucking But you have torture. to remember, right? 
Cindy and David in particular really were very particular with who they selected to victimize. Psychologically? They chose women who were very unlikely to go to law enforcement. A, they didn't trust law enforcement. B, they knew they would be unlikely to be believed by law enforcement. C, they didn't have a big network themselves, a big family or friends or, you know what I mean? Little to no education. So next steps maybe weren't very clear. They chose their victims precisely for this reason. Again, I mean, I I hate to give it up for these fucking psychos, but like if you were to write a movie about the perfect, and I don't mean perfect, I mean it pejorative. I don't mean it in a positive sense. Worst sexual sadist to ever walk the planet. I mean, this guy's living that story out. Absolutely. I don't understand how anybody could be this good. It's, I, I hesitate to even say he's good at it because, again, it's so bad. But so much energy goes into this for him. The bullet points, the crafting of the tools, the grooming of the people to help him. Like, bro, it's not that it's important. who he is. I mean, it's his legitimately, you mean that the way that I took it, like he's got nothing else going on. Absolutely. This isn't what he does. It's the life that chose him. <laughs> you can't hate the player. Right? It's the no, life that chose him. I do hate the player in this situation. As do I. With Angelica now gone, David and Cindy were ready for their next and final, unbeknownst to them at the time that this was going to be their final victim. So here's what they did. On March 20th, 1999... David and Cindy propositioned a sex worker, a dark-haired young woman named Cynthia Vigil. Cynthia! Yeah. Yeah. Offered her $30 in exchange for oral sex. And when she accepted the transaction, David flashed his State Park Ranger badge to her and told her that she was under arrest for solicitation while he placed her hands in handcuffs. State Park badge, pretty intimidating. I mean, it might have been unclear. I think that's... No, for sure. Right. In retrospect. When Cynthia tried to flee, Cindy Hendy showed up with a cattle prod, immobilizing Cynthia before she and David wrapped her entire face in duct tape and placed a metal dog collar around her neck. They bound her hands and feet with rope, stripped her naked, and drove her 150 miles back to Elephant Butte. I'm sorry, where did they meet her? Albuquerque? Albuquerque. Okay. So by this point in the case, as we mentioned, there's a clear victim profile. They pick women who are very unlikely to take next steps in terms of pursuing justice, or so they thought. I never even thought about the fact that education could come into play here because you said they're uneducated. It's not clear what the next steps are. Like if something like that happens to you and you don't know what to do, like who do I even go to tell about this? If you don't know who to go to and you don't have people in your corner, you know, you're on the streets or you've been on the streets your whole life. I mean, I think I I take it for granted the fact that I know that if somebody kidnaps you and tortures you, you go to the cops. Because I know what the cops are and I know what the cops do. And you trust them and you believe they have your back. When Cynthia got back to David's place, she was tied to a bed and greeted by the pre-recorded words beginning with, hello there, bitch. Of course, I'm referring to the advisory cassette tape. Cynthia was forced to endure the electric shock machine where she had clamps attached to her nipples and genitalia. She was subjected to the ankle spreader device and then sodomized. In a most undignified act of humiliation and perversion, David smeared canned gravy inside Cynthia and brought in his dog to lick it out while he photographed the whole scene. This guy is fucked up. I know. We're earning that explicit rating on on iTunes right now. God, are we? Fuck this fucking piece of shit fucker. My My sentiments, exactly. Oh my God. After that, David and Cindy suspended Cynthia in midair and whipped her with leather straps. Eh, Okay. I mean, the gravy is, I mean. Well, because it's the psychological. I know. I mean, if I was getting my butthole licked out by a dog, you know, and then they raised me up and started whipping me, I'd be like, oh, thanks for the break. Right. You know? I mean, pick your poison, right? (laughs) So this physical, sexual, psychological abuse persisted for about five hours. According to Cynthia, David told her that she was never going to see her family again and that he would kill her, quote, like the others. Okay, another break. Sorry to keep interjecting here, but you say five hours, right? And it's uh, five hours. Okay, that's like, you know, it's not even a full day. Like, you know, whatever. But like... When you stub your toe and that pain lasts for 10 seconds... I was just going to say 10 seconds of absolute pain... A paper cut. 
That five seconds, that initial five seconds of that paper cut, you're like, you cannot think about anything else. (laughs) It makes time disappear. Right. So five hours, four days, like, I mean, just, fuck, this case is a lot. Awful. It's awful. So David tells Cynthia that he's going to kill her like the others, right? But that is not what happened. Little did David know when he left that morning on March 22nd, 1999 to have breakfast at the Shamrock Diner, his time as the toy box killer would finally, mercifully come to an end. When David left for breakfast that morning, he unlocked Cynthia's handcuffs but kept her chained to the wall. Cindy Hendy left the room shortly after to take a phone call and she left behind on the coffee table the keys to the padlock that kept Cynthia chained. Nice. Cynthia was able to get her hands on the keys, but was unable to identify the one that would open the padlock before Cindy came back. When Cindy returned, she was pissed. She smashed a glass lamp over Cynthia's head, disorienting her, but not preventing Cynthia from grabbing the phone and dialing 911. The phone, however, dropped out of Cynthia's hand while she and Cindy continued to grapple on the floor. Then... When Cindy Hendy reached for the phone, what happened next? Oh, no. Pop quiz. This is a bad time for a pop quiz, but throw it at me. A, Cindy Hendy had a heart attack. Okay. B, Cindy Hendy tripped on the chain and knocked herself unconscious. C, Cynthia picked up an ice pick that was on the table and slashed open Cindy's head. Cindy Hendy had a heart attack. No. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Fuck. She tripped over the chain? Nope. Cynthia stabbed her? Slashed Cindy across her head, opening a massive gash. And when she did that, she was able to get the correct key, unlock herself, run out the front door completely naked, bloody, black and blue, and dragging a five-foot chain attached to the dog collar around her neck. But she was alive. And out. And out. As we mentioned in part one, most of the cars that Cynthia was waving down passed right by her. Understandably so. I mean, you're out in the middle of the desert. There's a bloody naked woman with a chain around her neck. Like, you don't know what party she's coming from. And some of the cars did call 911, which I feel much better about in terms of my faith in humanity. While frantically running and silently screaming, remember we mentioned that in part one? She was screaming, but... No sound was coming out of her mouth. Well, picture you're in the middle of the desert driving. You, husband, kids. I'm not stopping. Uh, I'm sorry. Like if I'm alone, maybe because I don't, I'm not putting anybody else in danger, but like I'm, not, I'm driving right past that nonsense and calling 911 as soon, you know, from now a cell phone, 90s, they didn't have I, I don't think you're alone in that yeah. sentiment. I'm just trying to put into perspective the judgment of people driving past like, It's a crazy situation to come across in the middle of the desert. Right. Dave and I came across a stray dog in a blizzard on the Long Island Expressway. I was eight months pregnant and uh, we stopped and we trudged through the blizzard to get this dog. And you got the dog? Fuck yeah, we got the dog. I would have given birth on the goddamn side of the road if it meant bringing that dog to safety. No more snow on this dog's back. No. I'd like to think I would have stopped for Cynthia. I like to think I would have had a visceral response and I would have jacked the steering wheel and been like, you okay? Yeah. You know what I mean? I I would like to think that, but I also pass no judgment on the people who drove past her because I also understand the argument you made. So while she's running and silently screaming, Cynthia sees a mobile home nearby with its door open, which was owned by a woman named Darlene Breach who happened to be home watching television. Cynthia ran inside the trailer and started screaming, please help me, please don't let them get me. Darlene immediately called the police and covered a traumatized Cynthia with a pink bathrobe while Cynthia sat there sobbing and crying and shaking. Oh, this is after being driven past on the road. Correct. She saw this mobile home on the side of the road. Oh, good. The door was open. She ran inside and this dear woman wrapped Cynthia in her pink bathrobe, sat her down, cleaned her up, called the police. Darlene Breach. And uh, Cynthia was bruised. She was nearly broken, but she was free. Bruised, not broken. That's right. Cynthia was taken to Sierra Vista Hospital, 
where the collar and chain were removed and where she was treated for her injuries and administered a sexual assault forensic exam. Realizing the extent of the crime scene and what they were dealing with, Sierra County law enforcement called in backup from the New Mexico State Police. David Parker Ray and Cynthia Hendy were brought in for separate questioning. During their interviews with a special agent, both David and Cindy indicated that everything that had gone down in the toy box with Cynthia was consensual. Yeah, okay. And that they'd been helping Cynthia to detox from her drug addiction. They claimed that they chained her up and tied her down as a mercy and helping her through the worst part of her withdrawal. Wow. I mean, I was shocked for a second by the ability to come up with a story like that until I remembered who we're dealing with. Law enforcement had a long road ahead of them with respect to searching, documenting, and cataloging all of the evidence found on David's property. So there were essentially eight separate crime scene locations to investigate. The living room, right, in David's trailer home, the garage, his pickup truck, a camper, a sailboat, a red storage shed, a white storage shed, and of course, the toy box. Why does he have so much shit? I don't have all this shit and I'm a functioning member of society and not torturing people. He has so much. <laughs> I want a sailboat. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is he doing with a sailboat in the middle of the desert? Sex though? parties from the first episode. Oh, that's right. He, that's, that was what he did, right? What he did. For work. He sold the tapes. Well, it's not what he did for work. It's what he did for pleasure, but he made money off it. Yeah. Well, he, he was a mechanic by trade, sex party thrower. And park ranger. And park ranger. This guy's busy. Who has the time? Literally, like, I can't even think of a hobby I have that I can keep consistently doing. This guy's got tons of energy. Not a wasted moment in his day. No, no. While sweeping all of these properties, law enforcement discovered more than 100 videotapes and hundreds of still photographs depicting countless women being sexually tortured. From top to bottom, corner to corner, the toy box was packed with examples of David's diabolical inventiveness. But perhaps the most ominous finding was a map of Elephant Butte Lake showing at least a dozen X's marking various locations. Where he dumped bodies? Presumably. Wow. Needless to say, news spread far and wide about the toy box killer and it reached one of David's victims who we spoke about earlier, Angelica Montano. And when she heard that there was an investigation going on, she bravely returned to Truth or Consequences to tell her story and to help with the investigation in any way that she could. Sadly, though, on May 7th, 2000, Angelica passed away from pneumonia and she never got to see her abusers brought to justice. But she was integral in helping to pave the path to justice before she died. Oh, good. So like amazing job, Angelica. Angelica Montano, Cynthia Vigil, and Kelly Van Cleve, KVC, told their stories to journalists, reporters, and to David himself at pretrial hearings. Some good news about Kelly, by the way. Do you remember Kelly? She's from part one. KVC? Yeah, KVC. She's the one whose husband didn't believe her when she came back oh, after that's being right. tortured, and he threw her out and got their marriage annulled or divorced or whatever. Kelly remarried, and she moved to Colorado. Colorado's nice. Yeah, it is. So she still cannot recall exactly what happened to her during her abduction. Remember, that was always like a sticking point with her. She was drugged. She was drugged. And she really, this is why her then husband, Patrick, didn't believe her because he was like, "You, you, where were you? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, fuck that. You were definitely cheating on me. You know what I mean? Like he didn't believe her and she honestly couldn't remember. She still struggled to remember, but she would have flashbacks and experience a visceral response to the sight of duct tape. Oh. So she received mental health treatment as she began to recover more details while prepping for the trial. Chillingly, much about David Parker Ray's crimes remains unknown, including how many victims he may have actually killed and disposed of. So though he was never formally convicted of murder, nobody, no crime, law enforcement uncovered evidence of numerous murders, including diaries written by David in which he detailed the brutal deaths of several women. Authorities also uncovered hundreds of pieces of jewelry, clothing, and other personal effects, according to the FBI. So these items were believed to have belonged to his victims. I like that word effects, by the way, when it's used in that context. Mm, duly noted. It's estimated that David Parker Ray killed over 50 women. 
Cindy Hendy claims that he killed 14. Yeah, but she was new, right? She was new. But I imagine they talk. Like, if I had to put my money on it, I feel like at the point where she's disclosing everything, if she's saying 14, I'd probably go with 14. But I don't know. The investigators said there was evidence of over 50. Still, police were unable to find any human remains in any of the locations marked on the map with those X's. Well, they were in a lake, right? Yeah, and it's impossible, I would imagine, to scour every inch of the lake, but they did not find any evidence of bodies. Wow, okay. Pop quiz. Oh, how big is Elephant Butte Lake? The FBI profilers on this case, who also worked the Unabomber and Ted Bundy cases, by the way. Studs. Which movie did they provide background for? A, Kiss the Girls. B, Silence of the Lambs. C, Seven. Seven. No. (laughs) Every single question that comes up, every pop quiz, I have a 33% chance of getting it right. Yeah. Why do I get it wrong 100% of the time? I don't know. You got to dig deep on that one. Um, Kiss the girls. No. Wait, But honestly, kiss the girls. That's why I chose that because... I don't even know what kiss the girls is. With Ashley Judd and I think Morgan Freeman was in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great movie. So spooky. It was about him kidnapping women and holding them hostage and having sexual, you know, he didn't torture them to the extent that David Parker Ray did, but that was the premise of the movie. So Silence well, of the Lambs? first, by the way. Silence of the Lambs, yeah. So wow. the FBI f- profilers on this case provided background for Silence of the Lambs. Isn't that cool? But Silence of the Lambs is a fictional story and so is Kiss the Girls and so is Seven, right? That is correct. Okay. So they like helped make it more real. Right. So these same FBI profilers provided the following findings on the toy box killer and his, quote, lady friend, Cindy Hendy. David referred to Cindy Hendy, by the way, as his lady friend, which might be the creepiest part of this whole case. Yeah. David Parker Ray exhibited the characteristics of a preferential sex offender and more specifically, a sexual sadist who achieved sexual arousal by the intense suffering of his victims. His six sexual tendencies likely started in childhood, and they even went on to say that sexual sadism was a chronic disease for which there was no known remedy. And there is sufficient evidence to suggest that David started terrorizing women at a very young age, and he even admits to it on the lovely advisory cassette tape. On the tape, he says the following, quote, As I said earlier, you will be kept like an animal. I've been doing this too long. I've been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie a little girl's hands behind her back. End quote. Wow, that's fucking haunting. Cindy Hendy was a sexual masochist who willingly suffered pain and humiliation. But she also, by the way, got in on the actual doing. I guess if you're a masochist, then you got a little sadist streak, maybe? Sure. I don't know. I wish I had a psychology background sometimes, you know? So let's talk quickly about the legal outcome of this case and who got what and where and why. Legal recourse is almost never instant. And this is something I tell my clients all the time. The wheels of justice tend to move painstakingly slowly. David's trial began on March 28th, 2000. Immediately after jury selection, however, the bastard suffered a heart attack and the trial was postponed. So on May 23rd, 2000, Jury selection for David's new trial was done, and he was charged with 12 counts of kidnapping, sexual abuse, and conspiracy. But in July, the judge declared a mistrial because the jury couldn't agree on a verdict. Because amazingly, not all of the jurors were convinced that the testifying victims, so Kelly Van Cleve and Cynthia Vigil, had been held against their will. What the actual fuck? What about the videos? Maybe their videos weren't shown at trial. Videos of other women. Two plus two is four. I mean, you put... Totally. In November, a retrial began, but a few days into that, the judge passed away. So proceedings could not resume until the following year in April. He's in jail the whole time. He is. Okay. In June, David's official second trial began in which he made a plea bargain in exchange for leniency for his daughter, Jessie Ray, who was an accomplice in at least one murder. She only received five years probation. Wow. Consequently, David faced at least 223 years in prison in 2001. Okay. 
While being transported to the Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico, David Parker Ray died of a heart attack at the age of 62. What a piece of shit. Yeah. But again, I mean, I got to give it to him. He's good at this. I mean, (laughs) sure. Fuck this guy. But I mean, if your goal, if your purpose in life was to be born, come here, wreak as much havoc and inflict as much harm as possible and then not suffer the consequences for it, this guy nailed it. He did. But I mean, I would have loved to heard that he got 223 years of a stun gun up his ass. Absolutely. (laughs) I wish he was tortured every single day of that 223 year sentence. Yeah, I mean, people like that in jail, obviously, this is pretty well known, but for people who don't know it, kidnappers, sexual assault perpetrators, those people, they're like pedophiles, you mean? Pedophiles. Well, well, no, not pedophiles. Anybody who rapes anybody or. Yeah, but mostly the, the lowest rung on the ladder are. Uh, but rapists pedophiles. are right there. Yes. Rapists do not have an easy time in jail. They do not. Yeah. I mean. But the, if you had to pick <laughs> which one is going to get it worse, it's going to be the pedophile. Yeah. Either way, the guy's life in jail would have been absolute hell. I would have liked to have heard. And again, I don't like. I, I was pretty pumped when Cindy Hendy got the ice pick to the head internally, even though I do not condone violence, but I don't condone violence. So sometimes violence is necessary to stop the violence. But God, man, I wish this guy just spent a little bit of time in jail so that he could have felt... Yeah, a heart attack is an easy way out. Yeah, I mean, it's just not... It's not just... Maniac, absolutely. It's not not a just outcome of this case. Agreed. Dennis Roy Yancey, the man who strangled Marie B. Parker, was sentenced to two consecutive 15-year sentences for kidnapping and second-degree murder. He was released in 2021. What? Jesse Ray, David's daughter... Mm-hmm. was only sentenced to five years, as I said, of probation for second-degree kidnapping on the condition that she have no contact with the victims or their families. Jesse Ray's whereabouts today are unknown. What about Dennis Roy Yancey? I don't know where he is, but he's out there. He actually could have gotten out, and he did get out earlier than that. But three months into his parole, when he was originally released, he did something that put him back in jail until 2021. Oh, idiot. Cindy Hendy was sentenced to 36 years behind bars for her involvement in the kidnappings and tortures. She was released in 2019 and walks free today. Her plea arrangement was accepted just months before New Mexico passed a law making violent offenders serve at least 85% of their sentence. So she now lives in Hamilton, Montana, a free woman. Maybe she's rehabbed. You think so? You you really, do you believe that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I believe that time alone to reflect for the right person, if they're given the right tools, can be beneficial for sure. I agree with rehabilitation. And and this is something we've talked about before, right? If you don't believe in rehabilitation, then what's the purpose of prison? I don't think a lot of people realize that prison is intended for rehabilitation. It's, of course, intended to keep people isolated from mainstream society, dangerous people. But really, uh, the purpose is rehabilitation so that when these convicts are let out, they don't repeat what they did. So if you don't believe in rehabilitation... It's very difficult. I mean, I've been sober for 20 years. If I had committed a crime a month before I got sober um, and I got sober in jail, which happens not a lot, not all the time. I'm not saying it's the norm or I'm not making any statistical claims, but it definitely happens. You come out a different person. You want to be better. You want to do better in your life and for society. Not so you don't get in trouble anymore, so that you don't feel like a piece of garbage all the time. That's the only way it works, but that's not very common, especially among criminals or especially like career criminals who commit a crime, get caught, or have been committing crimes for years before they get caught, get caught, get out, fall back in with their old people and old ways, and they go back to the neighborhood they came from because you're not going to move out. You're not going to get out of jail and have a new home in a new town. So. The rehabilitation part of jail, I believe in. It's the rest of the life that's tough to make the rehabilitation stick. And it's the age-old, very trite, admittedly, but nature versus nurture conversation. With rehabilitation, what if it's somebody's nature? And you can't change their childhood, right? We already know that that, a destructive childhood coupled with that inclination or proclivity to do something, that combination almost sort of, it's almost written in stone that they're going to do things. So it's... I don't know where I fall on the issue. I do believe in rehabilitation just in general. I still just cannot bear the thought of a woman like Cindy Hendy walking free. 
Yeah, it doesn't feel great, but I saw something recently. I can't remember what it is, so I'll leave the details out of it. But basically, a young kid committed a crime and he was tried as an adult, even though he was 17 when it happened. I hate that, yeah. 18, like, oh my God. Okay, I do remember what it was. Some kid was speeding down a street racing in his car and he hit a mother and a baby in a stroller and killed them both. Oh my God. Horrific, horrific, obviously terrible accident. But to send this kid to jail for 20 years or 25 years, I feel like is maybe not the right approach. Well, when you take all of the factors into consideration, like the fact that he's 17, his brain isn't even fully developed. No, you do stupid things. And you that's part of the danger. Of- that's part of growing up. I, I don't excuse what he did at all. And there should be repercussions, but damn. It's part of the danger of being a human being is that you're out there living a life that you really have no business <laughs> living. No, you don't know what, no, I don't, nobody knows what they're doing. You're right. You learn as you go. So to make a mistake that big- that early That's in awful. life is That's terrible. Awful. I'm so sad to hear that. Yeah. Let's leave off on an interesting, positive pop quiz. Please. Okay. Make it, it has about nothing the to office. do with the case, but it does have to do with the area in New Mexico. In 2005, Truth or Consequences was put on the map for a much better reason than the Toy Box Killer. Was it because A, it became the headquarters for OVW, the office? on violence against women. Mm. B, tourists were allowed for the first time to actually enter and explore a dormant volcano called the Capulin Volcano. Okay. Or C, it became the headquarters for the Virgin Galactic Space Operation, which is the world's first commercial space line for tourists. Virgin Galactic Space. Yay! 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 Mazel tov. I got one. Did it. I knew truth or consequences as a back of my mind thing that I had heard before. I don't know what the OVW is and I don't know what- That's um, in DC. Okay. There is a dormant volcano called the Capulin Volcano. I may be pronouncing it incorrectly. Forgive me if I am. And it does exist, but it's not in truth or consequences. It is in New Mexico and you cannot enter the fucking volcano. (laughs) So don't try. (laughs) You can drive around it and you can hike around it, but you can't go inside of it. So I want to thank our listeners for hanging in there. Two part episodes. This needed two parts. This definitely needed two parts. You're right. And it was really intense and graphic and awful, but it really happened. There's a lot of literature on this case, a lot of books documentaries. None of what I said, by the way, came from me. Obviously, I was repeating things that came from the killer himself. And you're here to hear it. Am I right? Me? People, listeners, you. Yeah. I feel a little guilty. I'm not going to... I'm sitting here feeling like a little like regret that I took you guys down that dark path, but it's what you signed up for. Well, let me tell you something that happened with our oldest son. He was jumping jumping. This is when he was five, maybe five years old, jumping around, jumping around, jumping around. He fell and hurt himself and started crying. And Jessica goes, well, wasn't that the thrill you were looking for? (laughs) (laughs) You just jumped off the couch 50 times in a row and one of them didn't go perfectly. And you're going to throw a fit? Like, wasn't that the thrill you were looking for, dude? Like, isn't this why you're here to listen to this shit? This horrific stuff that fascinating, horrific true mind bending reality altering. Cause like I would never in a million years think that a person like this exists. If the whole thing was pop quizzes, I would fail miserably. If you were like, he, you know, did this. And one of the choices was he was used scrap metal to make sexual torture tools. I'd be like, no, there's no way somebody would do that. Right. This is a real case. It is. And the victims are real. Absolutely. And they were super brave, especially the women in the end who testified and we feel for the for every single one of them, it was probably definitely everybody's worst nightmare oh, what they 100%. went through in that toy box. I hate even giving David the satisfaction of calling it the toy box because that's what he called it, but horrible. I hope he's not doing well. I hope wherever he is, he's... I don't want to wish suffering on somebody. Even, but this person, I feel okay wishing suffering I know, suffering on. I know. He, I've he, never wished suffering on anybody. yeah. Well, if you're going to start with anyone, he's the guy. He's the guy. Maybe I'll start and end with him, depending on who you bring to uh Well, to listen, I do have to put a little teaser out because next week's case is insane. How? It's an, I'm not, I don't want to give anything away. It's nuts. <laughs> and that's coming off of this case. So 
it's wow okay so now i'm now i'm intrigued i guess if you are in <laughs> and i guess i'll see you next week and i do like true crime i guess you do. at the end of welcome the day welcome to the party you have me We're on the a edge fun of bunch. my seat yeah i'm on the edge of my seat and i don't know you I, literally are on the edge of your seat right now i know but it's just hard not to get pulled in I, i'll tell you something and then we'll wrap it up i think i told you i was listening to like doomsdayers and you know people are saying the world is ending and global warming and russia and oil and fucking energy we're all gonna die I almost last night put on a true crime podcast to fall asleep to. Oh my God. I know. Oh my God. I know. It's, it's happening. You're a convert. It's happening. I wouldn't say I'm a convert just yet. You're almost a convert. I'm almost You're a making convert. space for it. Oh yeah. Oh, I make space. Yeah. I want to, I mean, I, I know it's just so enthralling. Absolutely. So hopefully you feel the same way about this episode of the Psychopedia Podcast. Investigator Slater, clap it up for yourself. Give yourself a little little ASMR <laughs> clap. Um, and if you listened all the way to the end, thank you so much. Thank rate, you so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you to the people who left the ratings on uh, Apple, the Spotify. We can't see them because you can't write anything, but we do know the ratings are coming in there too, which means you're enjoying it. And we'll see you next week for a more fascinating episode than this one, apparently. Yeah. Race for impact. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.